So if you came this morning because somebody promised you that you were going to Dunkin' Donuts and uh, you were going to get a, a maple bacon donut, and instead they brought you to church, let me apologize that you didn't get your donut. But I, I, wanna, I do want to say this, though, that uh, if you're here today, uh, whether you're a first-time guest that's here, and I've met a couple of first-timers, a couple of their, uh, folks that are, this is like their second or third time, um, I, I truly believe that today's going to be a good day. Not that every Sunday's not, but I, I just really believe that God and the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, is going to be really working inside of us today. And, and so I want to guarantee that uh, you won't be disappointed you didn't, you didn't get the maple bacon donut. I think you're going to get something greater, not because of me, but because of what God's going to do today. Um, and it's really, it's really cool. So I was, uh, I was thinking about what we would talk about today. And um, you know, I, ask, I talk to a lot of people. Sometimes I uh, canvass the congregation. I canvass the community. I'll put something out on Facebook. Yes, every now and then I put something on Facebook. And uh, I always ask, you know, what, what's going on? What, what can we talk about and, and what makes sense? Because I truly believe that um, the way that a church's message of the gospel makes the most sense is whenever we can talk about God's word through the things that we're living through. Would you agree with that? And I think it's really more meaningful because when we're impacted by various things in our life that we're going through, and all of a sudden we, we come into the promises and the hope of what uh, the Scripture gives for us, we, we can just really live into God's story, and it, it just lifts our spirits. So Patty and I were talking a little bit, and, and we were trying to figure out, as we were praying about, and as I've talked to some various people, and the word that kept coming back to me uh, for today was the word hope. And, um, you know, I don't know if today, if, if you're a person in need of hope, I don't know if, uh, if you're finding yourself kind of hopeless in some situations, or maybe you're a person that just wakes up every day and, and you're just like, uh, it's a yay God moment and you're knocking out of the park because uh, every day is just a, a hope-filled day. But, but I really think that, that all of us need to understand and embrace what a life of hope is. But sometimes we get tripped up, and this is where we get tripped up. We think that our hope is found in our jobs, and then when our jobs don't work out, we lose hope. We think our hope is found in our relationships, and if our relationships are, are not working out right, then we lose hope. We think that hope is found in our money, and if we you know, uh, have money, but then all of a sudden we don't have money, then we lose hope. So, so hope is something that's a lot deeper than some of the uh, surface or superfluous things that we come through in our life. And that's why I believe today that, that the Holy Spirit is, is going to do something. And, and um, the Holy Spirit was working in the last service, and I, and I know that today. And those of you that are live streaming, um, I, I want to invite you in to this conversation. And thank you for being with us as we get there. But I want to talk about breakthrough hope. So if we think about hope, uh, I want us to go back to a person that the Scripture says was the father of our faith, because I really think that faith and hope um, say a lot together. And, and there's a guy in the Bible uh, who's called the father of faith. He's also called the father of hope, and his name is Abraham. And here's what happens. At the age of 75, God calls on Abraham and gives him a promise. Now think about that, 75 years of age. Abraham's probably trying to wind down, and God's ready to wind him up. I had somebody say to me recently, well, Bob, back in the Bible, you know, 75, that was totally different than being 75 today. Folks, 75 is 75. And if you are at that age or over that age or nearing it, you're probably feeling some of the effects of, of, of advancing age with your bones, your body, and, and things, and parts that don't work like they used to, and all that other good stuff. But what we find out with this is that Abraham and his wife Sarah are both advanced in age. 
and God comes and begins to speak into their life in a powerful way. And God says to Abraham, God gives Abraham a promise, okay? And he says to him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make you the father of so many offspring that every generation is going to be led back to you. And can you imagine, because Abraham and Sarah, at this time in their life, they had no children. She was barren. They, they tried and tried and tried and no children at all. And at the age of 75, God says, Abraham, not only am I going to bless you this way, but every person that you bless, Abraham, I'm going to bless. If there's somebody that you curse, Abraham, I'm going to curse them. And this is going to be the kind of relationship that we have. Now that promise wouldn't be fulfilled in Abraham until he became 100 years old. All right? So for 25 years... God began this conversation in the heart of Abraham and Sarah. In 25 years, Abraham had to be wondering between 75 and 100, God, did the promise that you gave me, is what you said to me, is it really going to happen? Is it true? God, can I depend on you? Is what you said truth in that? Now, the Apostle Paul uh, writes an awful lot about the faith in Abraham. And, and I want to take us to Romans chapter 4 where Paul writes this. Now listen to these words. Paul says about Abraham, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. So against all hope, against all odds, uh, however you want to pack it, Abraham had a, a foundation of faith and he believed that what God promised him would happen. Just as it's been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, and since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what had been promised. Now that's really important, that he believed that God had the power to do exactly what he had promised here. And this is why the scripture says uh, Abraham was credited as a righteous man. So when everything is against him, when all the odds are against him, he's advanced in age. He's looking at his physical and Sarah's physical ability to be able <coughs> to have children. And he believes, or he begins to see that it's against all hope. But yet the scripture says that Abraham kept on hoping. And we need to remember something really important as we're talking about this story of Abraham and Sarah. And, and, and it's three words, God is able. Say that with me. God is able. And this is very important. This is a foundational key to what we need to really understand, not just here, but understand and embrace about our faith. It doesn't say that God was, or that God might be, or perhaps. It says God is able. And we need to remember that no matter what is happening in our lives, that God is able, that God can be trusted, and God is able to do and capable of doing anything. Paul continues to write in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you all with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we believe that God is the source of all hope, that gives us the power that through the Holy Spirit it overflows in us. And therefore, if we are hopeful people, we have an influence over others. So it's not just we who will have a life of hope, but it will bleed over onto others, and they too will have that. Now, through the years, you've, you've heard me tell stories about 
Patty, my wife, and, and I always have to tell her, okay, here's a story I want to tell. Am I allowed to do it? Please, please let me tell it. And, and, and she has to agree to that. It's just the, the, what we've always had. Now, uh, she's out of town, so I didn't really get a chance to ask for permission on this one, but uh, I'm going to tell it anyway. Now, I love my wife, and I think she's like perfect in everything except she kills plants. She has the black thumb of death. I mean, somebody can give her, don't ever give her a plant because if you do, it's going to die. I mean, trust me. And um, so the other day we were looking at a plant that a friend of ours, actually one of our neighbors gave us uh, several months ago. And I looked at it and I said, Patty, that thing looks horrible. It's wilting. It's brown. It's supposed to be vibrant green. It's got every color but green in it. It's dry. And what, what is, when did you water it last? And I could tell you, when I asked that all-important question, the look on her face gave it away. It had been weeks. And now when she waters plants, what she does is she uses ice cubes. Now, you know, you can either overwater a plant, and that's not good, or you can underwater it. But she takes ice cubes and she puts them somewhere in the potted plant. And so there was this one little spot in the plant that was like vibrant green, and that's where she was putting the ice cubes. So instead of watering the whole thing, it was just like this one little spot, and that was like vibrant and green and all that. And, and why am I telling you this story? Well, because, you know, with her, she's going to continue to bat a thousand because another plant's going to bite the dust here. But, but the point, though, is it, that's like our prayer life. We pray, but then we give up or we're not sure. Um, so when we're praying and we're believing and we're hoping and we're trusting in God, our life sees some vibrancy like that little spot and that plant. But too often, whenever we're praying and, and we believe God isn't delivering the goods, uh, it's like the deadness of the plant. And we've got to make sure that we're breaking through all of the objections and all of the obstacles that are happening in our life. So when we're praying, we're not just saying, gimme, 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 but we're trusting in God uh, for God to reveal himself in a powerful way through the life of our, of our prayers. So most of us, I think it's fair to say that we haven't lost hope, but, but we've kind of uh, taken a back seat to that. And for many of us, the reason we've do, done that is, is that we have put our hope into something else. And instead of putting our hope in God, we've put it into other things that, that we have control over. So how did Abraham become a person of hope? And how was he to be a person that was able to not only be hopeful, but live faithfully? And, and probably the first piece of that is that Abraham um, held on to peace in the natural. Now, I'm specific with the word natural. What is natural? Natural are the things that happen naturally in our life. The doctor's report comes back and it's not good. The bank account is empty quicker than you thought it would. These are all natural things. You get bullied at school and it's still, it's still happening and it won't stop. When things hit us in the natural, too often we don't gravitate toward peace we gravitate toward the problem. So if something is not happening right in our life, we start focusing and obsessing on the problem. It's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. And, and God says we need to focus on the peace because in the natural, things are going to happen. And when things happen, instead of obsessing on the problem, we need to look into being and living in a life of peace. Here's an example. Abraham sees his natural life. He's 100 years old, and he has to be saying to God, I'm 100. Things don't work like they used to, God. 
And now it's Sarah. Things don't work the way that they used to with her as well. He sees the natural. But instead of focusing on the natural, he needs to be at peace that what God is promising him can and in fact will be truth. Paul says again, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So when things are coming to us in the natural, when things are happening that we can't stop, we can either obsess on the problem, we can either you know, uh, be an Eeyore about it, or we can seek God in peace. And what, the way we hold on to peace is, the minute you accepted Christ into your life, you accepted peace. The minute Jesus became Lord of your life, you live a life of peace because he is the Prince of Peace. And therefore, we don't have to go looking for peace. We have already been adopted into that. And Christ is in us, and therefore, we have the peace beyond all human understanding. Paul writes this in 2 Thessalonians, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way, that the Lord will be with you. You see, Jesus cannot give you what he doesn't have. He has everything, so therefore he's already giving you him. He's given you his peace. And therefore, because we do that, we need to hold on to that. We need to hold on to that more than anything, that no matter what the result is that happens in our life, that we can be at peace because Christ is in us. Now, a lot of folks will, will say to me and have said to me, Bob, I, I've thought about that and I've said those kind of prayers and, and I've prayed those prayers, but I don't always experience uh, that, that God cares about what I pray about. So what am I supposed to do in that? And let me, let me just say this. In the Abraham story, we learn something very important, that God's word is God's bond. Say that. God's word is God's bond. If God gives his word, it is his bond. It is unbreakable. God cannot lie, God cannot sin, God cannot um, misdirect, God is perfect, God is good. So if God says, I will do this for you, we have to believe and trust that it exactly, it will happen the way that it is. Uh, we see the writer of Hebrews said, when God made the promise to Abraham, he backed it to the hilt, putting his own reputation on the line. You have a hundred year old man, who is, uh, or 75-year-old, take 25 years to 100, you know, is he going to have a child? So God's reputation was on the line here. But he said, I promise that I'll bless you with everything that I have. Bless and bless and bless. And Abraham stuck it out and got everything that he had been promised to him. And when people make promises, they guarantee by appealing to some authority above them so that if there is any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back them up. But when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock-solid guarantee. God cannot break his word, and because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. You know, Abraham, in the natural, he's saying, there's no way that we can have children. We're too old. The parts don't work. Things aren't going to be the way that they are. And we have to be careful because so often we want to tie our situation into this kind of story. Well, but I've prayed for this. And if in the Bible God gave it to them or God gave it to my neighbor, why won't God give it to me? We need to be very careful when we do that. And yes, when we pray, we pray because we feel that we want something. 
I mean, we've all prayed that prayer, haven't we? God, uh, I really need this, or God, I really want this to happen. And I've prayed those prayers. And, and those prayers are, are valid prayers, but we have to be careful when we pray those prayers. And here's why. When we pray that way, we have one small piece of the big picture of what life is. God has the whole scene. God can see everything. We have just one piece. So therefore, because we only have one piece, what we're praying for at times can be jaded. It can be selfish. It can be solely because we want it. But what if that's not the best thing for us? We might think it is, but God sees the big picture. And, and how many of us in the room have, have ever prayed, God, just, just, if you'll just do this for me, or God, if you'll just deliver this, or give me this job, or, or whatever, or let me you know, be in a relationship with that kind of person. How many of us, when it didn't work out that way, and then time went by and we're on the other side, and we look back and go like, man, I'm so glad that prayer didn't get answered. Because, you see, we've got to trust God. I know it's frustrating. I know it can be frustrating. And I've walked with many of you as you have prayed very serious prayers. And what we learn from the Abraham story is we just have to trust that God has the big picture. And if it's not working out the way that we're praying, that, that, there's, that there might be a different solution, that there might be a different way, or that maybe it's not what God sees happening in our life. I know those are hard words, but, but we have to just trust that God sees the big picture. Jeremiah writes this, that I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. So, so it says to us that, that if, we, if we knew what our future held, but we don't, we, we might want to know that. But God knows and therefore God and says, trust me and believe what I tell you to be true. So Abraham, not only with the natural, Abraham also opened up to joy in the supernatural. So, so at 75, God gives Abraham the promise, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. When Abraham gets to, let's say, around 86, and it hasn't happened yet, um, he's got to be thinking, you know, God, you had me at 75. You know, I, I was thinking, well, how's it going to happen? But, but I just knew it was going to be. But now it's 11 years later, and I'm kind of wondering how at 86, because things are even worse now on me than they were at 75, uh, what am I supposed to do? Look what God does. God takes Abraham outside, and he shows him the sky. And he says, Abraham, look up in the sky. Uh, do you see all those stars? Yeah, God, I see all those stars. Do you know how many stars are up there? No, God. God says, then count them. So Abraham's going like, one, two, three, four, five. So he gets to like maybe 2,027 that he can see. I don't know what the number was. But, but here's what God says. God says, Abraham, I created every one of those stars. I not only created them, I put them precisely in the orbit that they're in. And Abraham, I name those stars. I know them by name. And Abraham, if I can do that, then I can do that in you. If I can put stars and create them and create the heavens like that, then whatever you think I can't do with your body, I can do it. Trust me. Trust me. And so Abraham's perspective changes as he moves into this. And, and the, the point, though, is, is that he begins to see, as he sees the bigger picture, that if God can do that, then, then God can do whatever miracles needed to happen in, in Abraham and in Sarah. You see, sometimes I believe that, that, that God does not intervene when we're moving off into areas of darkness. And let me tell you why I believe 
that God doesn't always intervene. And this is why when we make choices free will, and if they're not the right choice, there's consequences, right? So why doesn't God just stop us short of all those bad choices? Well, because free will is a gift that God wants us to have. God wants us to choose. He wants us to choose to love him rather than being forced to love him. So, so, but sometimes when we make those choices and God doesn't intervene and, and the outcome is that it causes us the challenge or the problem in our life, it's because I believe that in order to really see the glory of God sometimes, we've got we've to see the darkness first. Because when we're in the darkness and we have no hope, we have, we have no joy and all those things, we have to look up metaphorically, so to speak, and we have to say, God, okay, my eyes are now on you. And so when we see these transitions, it's very important as we look up and we see what's happening there. And that's the difference between happiness and joy. You know, happiness, happiness is an emotional thing. It's a feeling. And, and a lot of times we can be happy about something and then something can happen circumstantially and that happiness can turn to be sadness, okay? Like, for instance, I, I just bought the car of my dreams and I've been driving for two weeks and I feel great about myself. And that didn't make any payments on it and they repossess it, now I'm sad, okay? Or I'm really happy I aced the quiz at school that I didn't study for. But the one test that really counted to get me into college, I bombed it, now I'm sad. So you see how happiness and sadness goes? Joy is different. Joy is something that God gives us. Joy is, 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 is not an emotion. It's a gift of God, and God places joy in us. And therefore, we begin to see we have joy because we have Christ in our life. Now, Jesus never said that our lives would, would never have problems. In fact, he said, he said these words. He said, in this life, you will have troubles. You will have problems, but if you hold on to me, and keep, you will keep joy in the midst of those difficult times. So the way we hold on to joy is we hold on to, to Christ. We hold on to Jesus. And when we hold on to him, it is inseparable, and joy cannot be taken away. Happiness can. The psalmist writes this, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I'm helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I'll give thanks to him in song. And that means when we come to church, it means that we worship. It means that we just surrender things at the door. You know, what's going to happen at work tomorrow? Or, you know, am I running car line this week? All those distractions, we surrender them at the door. When we come in to a time of corporate worship, we need to open our hearts to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit, that in that we experience joy, and therefore we worship God in in, in grace and praise and thanksgiving. And therefore, we see that, that, that the anticipation is not in what we see, but in what God will do. So therefore, if it's a, a cruddy sermon or, or whatever, it doesn't matter because God will do something. And we, that's where we see the hope that comes from that. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even through, even through that, you do not see him now, but you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We must always tap into the joy of God in our heart. If we can't see the promises of God, then we have to trust in the promises of his word. God's word says that he took Abraham outside. If I can do that in the heavens, I can transform your parts and Sarah's parts 
and something great can happen. Abraham also lived out a, a life for the eternal. Abraham did not waver, though unbelief, regarding the, the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what God had promised. God had power to do what God had promised. If God has made a promise, God will not break it. Did you hear that? If God has made the promise, it will not be broken. But too many of us have challenges with our relationship with God because in our relationships with each other, I've made promises to you, you've made promises to me, we've made them to other people in our relationships, and somewhere along the line, somebody has broken a promise to us. And we cannot establish that that's the connection with God. We will let each other down all the time, but God will never break a promise if God has given the promise there. The significance that comes out of this is that, that faith without works is dead. So Sarah and Abraham had to do something. This was not an immaculate conception. Are you following where I'm going with this science lesson today or biology lesson? They physically had to interact. Please tell me you're following me so I don't have to give another example. <laughs> you want me to give another example. Okay, so no. So, so they had to act out in their faith. They couldn't just believe it was going to happen. They had to do something. And because they acted out and they did what God had said, it happened. But here's how it usually goes down. When we are dealing with things in life, we look at it from a facts point of view. If the facts say this, then analytically we can't do that. Here's an example. When Patty and I were married early on, we began to talk about starting a family. Patty said, it's time, let's start a family. My response was the facts. I'm looking at what I bring in every month. I'm looking at what you bring in every month. I'm looking at our expenses. We have no money for children. That's facts. And her response was, if we, if we continue to do that, we'll never have children because we'll never have enough money to have children. So, so we look at facts, but facts, we have to look beyond that. We have to be able to say that, that that's the case. Abraham at 100 says that, that the things that I could do when I was younger, the thing that Sarah could do that was younger, you know, the facts were it could not be done. But then, but then it's feelings. So we look at facts and then we look at feelings. Because you feel that you can't do something, you don't even try. Well, I feel like it's hopeless. I feel like, why even try? Because, well, I can't. Because the facts say I can't do that. And then, so it's facts and feelings, and then and that leads to failures. Uh, we lose hope when we begin to focus on our failures. We've bought into the facts. They've created feelings. And those feelings we act upon, and because we don't even want to risk it or try it or believe in it, we don't ever do anything, and it messes up our life. But Paul writes this, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. Another translation, this is why Abraham believed in God. And this is why he was seen as righteous. So in the midst of what he saw, Abraham gave glory to God. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod. Kavod is used 376 times in the scripture. Kavod's translation uh, also means weightiness. So Abraham, as he's looking at the facts and the feelings and, and the possible failures, he looks at that and he says, there's no way I believe this can be done. But he gives God kavod. He gives God glory. 
And what he's doing is he's giving God the weightiness of all of those negatives saying, here, God, you take those off of me. And when he gave God kavod, when he gave God glory, when he gave God the weight of all of that, the miracle happened. And at the age Isaac then was born. I rediscovered a scripture this week. I know that sounds funny to have a pastor say I rediscovered a scripture. But it's the truth. I mean, like you, I, I read scriptures and, and this speaks to me, this doesn't. Or there's a time in my life this really speaks to me or this doesn't. But this speaks to me, especially when it's about hope. And it comes from 2 Corinthians 4. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. No matter how bad it looks on the outside, on the inside God is constantly bombarding us with his grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration which is prepared for us. You see, that's, that's the difference between um, looking at the current reality versus seeing what's coming. That's the difference between looking at the problem and peace, okay? On the outside, it's this, but the coming celebration. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things that we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. And that's the hope. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it won't happen. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean that God's not at work in your life. He is. And therefore, we must trust and we must always have hope. So whatever it is that you're seeking in hope, never, 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 never give up, but keep hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ.